I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are unlike Christ. Yes, you heard me right. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians because your Christians do not act like Christ. Does that not upset you for the reputation of Christ? These are the words of Mahatma Gandhi, the Indian leader who helped India get its independence from the British Raj in India. So what had caused him to utter these words? Well, he had witnessed false conversions. So-called missionaries had gone into India and had given false hope, bribed, and said all kinds of nonsense in order that they would convert some Indians and call them Christians. Gandhi had seen through them. He had seen how these so-called Christians would treat Indians as second-class human beings. He would see how in their conversations they would be hateful. Even Gandhi was 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 a victim of such conversation. He had seen racism being targeted to him. It was the hypocrisy that he was calling out. Do you know the single biggest reason why non-Christians will not accept the Christian faith? It is Christian hypocrisy. Many of you may resonate with this, how some Christians, some who have called themselves Christians, have taken advantage, have abused other people. These non-Christians will call out the church for the abuse that has been so prevalent in a lot of churches. The media portrayals of how Christians ought to behave and how they act. Well, we all will recognize that hypocrisy is a problem. We are not supposed to live that way. How should we live then? What should be our strategy to the outside world? Well, in our text today, Paul answers these questions. We will be considering Colossians chapter 4, but before we jump into Colossians 4, let me give you an overview of the book of the letter written to uh, the church in Colossae. Paul, who had been house arrested in Rome, is writing this letter along with other letters that he had written in this. And so you will find a lot of parallelism between the letter to Colossae and the letter to Ephesians. His purpose to write this letter is to enamor the believers at Colossae with Christ so that they are able to evidence Christ in their home, at their work, and even to the outside world. 
In our text today, we will be considering how we ought to treat the outsiders. You will notice from our text that the text orients around the word speech. Paul will give us two strategies on how to interact with the outside world. One, talking about outsiders to God, and second, talking to outsiders about God. Let's, con- let's look at the first point, speaking to God about outsiders. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So Paul is giving us a model of how to pray. He says, you should pray continually, you should pray steadfastly, you should pray by being watchful, and he says, you should pray by giving thanks, being grateful. He starts off with continue praying. Paul is assuming that the church in Colossae prays, that we pray. This is nothing new to them. Don, uh, Don Whitney, in his book, The Spiritual Disciplines, gives us a very good illustration of what this continue prayer life looks like. Uh, he gives an analogy about how our prayer life should be a 24-7 call to our Heavenly Father, only being interrupted by life and not the other way around, where life is being interrupted by prayer. Prayer should not be an emergency call to our Father. This morning, as I was just meditating on this, how does that look like? Um, I, I looked at a woodpecker, and the woodpecker kept hitting, pecking on a wood. It will not stop till it has got what it needs. Again, I saw my son, from the time he got up till, this, till we came here, kept saying, Daddy, 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 Daddy. And, and I wondered, is that my heart attitude? Do I call out that regularly to my father? Am I in him? Is my call to him a 24-7? Is my prayer life an always kind of a prayer life? Paul continues, he says, steadfastly, earnestly. The Greek word here would, um, would spell this word even much better. It, it says, the intense effort that you need to pray. Uh, it is an unrelenting persistence. You do not give up. You keep going to him, asking what you need. Well, the church in Colossae, although they would not have this in their hands, they were very familiar with the Word of God. They knew that Jesus himself had taught this continual prayer. Look with me to Luke 18.1. Let me just read that out for you. 
Luke 18.1, this is when Jesus, uh, Luke is writing about Jesus. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Paul, before he instructs the church at Colossae, also models it well for them. Colossians 1.9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, key being, we have not ceased praying, continual prayer. A cursory glance at the book of Acts will show you how the church was praying for the missionaries, the church itself, continually. It was a 24-7 call that they were making to our Heavenly Father. Paul continues, he says, be watchful. What comes to your mind when you think of the word watchful? I, I, I was driving this morning, I, I was thinking, well, watchful would mean keeping my eyes open, making sure that I am in my lane, I'm not deviating. Paul is saying, keep your eyes open when you pray. Keep your eyes open to the needs of the people, the church. Let me remind you, he is writing to the church. He's not writing to an individual. So he's calling the church to keep their eyes open. Church members knowing each other's needs as they pray. Paul, in chapter 2, also is warning uh, the church at Colossae about the various cultural pressures that are prevalent at this time. He speaks about how many philosophies are attacking the church. And so he's saying, be watchful. Um, So what he is saying is, hey, the way you defend yourself from the cultural pressures is not by your own wisdom, but through prayer. When I think about this, I am reminded of Nehemiah. Nehemiah and the others, when they were building the wall in Jerusalem, rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem, they had a sword and they had their tool in the other hand. They were working and watching. We are called to pray with our eyes wide open. Paul continues and he says, be thankful. In some versions you would also note, it says an attitude of thanksgiving. He's not just saying, hey, be thankful once. He's saying, this needs to be a regular pattern of yours, being thankful. Thankful for what? Colossians, Paul is saying, hey, Be thankful for your own salvation. Remember Christ who paid your price. Remember those who shared the gospel to you. So be thankful for those first. Then he says, and and this whole concept of thanksgiving, when he's saying ask. So when I read that, I'm thinking, hey, he speaks about ask and then thanksgiving. So he's saying, hey, both of them go together. Ask and be thankful. Paul, in the letter of Colossians, he woves in thanksgiving from the beginning to the end. 
let me quickly give you his thankful heart so you can appreciate what he's saying to the Colossians. Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 2, chapter 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Paul is reminding them God saved you, God rooted you, God has given you the peace. Be thankful for this. Paul is calling them, hey, don't just keep asking. Be thankful. Appreciate. Paul also understands as humans, uh, we have the nature of being forgetful. Remember Israel in the desert? Forgetful. Forgetting all that the faithful God had been doing to them. Remember that one leper out of the ten that Jesus healed? Only this leper comes back. It's not because the other nine did not, were not thankful. I think only this person remembered, hey, I need to thank the person who just healed me. So, continue praying, be steadfast in your praying, be watchful in your praying, and be praying with thanksgiving. Now, Paul moves on and he says, okay, I've taught you how to pray, let me teach you what to pray. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Please note, um, Paul is not giving a prescription of how to pray. He's not saying this is how you have to pray. It is similar to our Lord's Prayer. It is not a prescriptive. Yes, there are a lot of things that you take from there and add on to your supplication. It is not only those that you're asking, that Paul is asking to pray. When Paul is seeking for prayer, he also understands that he needs divine help. Uh, he, he understands the call to be a Christian cannot be done by himself. He needs the Lord's help as he, he does that. You will notice he uses the word us. Um, Paul is referring to himself and his companions. If you, this afternoon, go home and read through the chapter, verse, uh, chap, uh, the chapter 4 ends with all his companions. So he is saying, hey, not just pray for me, pray for us as we do this mission together. He then says, open to us a door. Let me remind you, Paul is right now in chains. He's under house arrest. He's saying, he's not asking, hey, please pray that my chains would be loosened. Of course, if he had done that, I think God would have been glorified. I think Paul, as a missionary, we've seen in Acts how 
faithful he was in going from places to places and preaching the gospel. But here he's asking that a door would be open. When you think of a door being open, I think of either people exiting the door or entering the door. He's not saying, hey, Lord, let people come to me. He's saying, let my word go out to them. He's not saying, hey, Lord, give me favorable circumstances. Only then will I preach. No, he's saying, Lord, wherever I am, let my speech proclaim you. He is asking both for an opportunity and also for success. Success that whatever he's going to proclaim would bear much fruit. The key here is the word, word. Uh, only the word has the power to transform human hearts. Only the word can do what it is supposed to do. Change unrepented heart, change, remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Only the word can cause its effect in, it, in the hearts of people. So he's asking that a door would be opened for the word, the word to go out. He's, he continues, he says, you pray so that, the, so that I may be able to declare, proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he wants that to be done clearly, verse 4, that I may make it clear. So he wants the mystery of Christ to be made clear. Uh, it's interesting how he uses mystery and clear. He understands mystery can be so unclear. So he's saying, hey, I need that, that this mystery which is hidden from people may be, may be made clear through me. What mystery is he speaking of? He is speaking of that one who would crush the head of the serpent. That one who was, who is the Lion of Judah. He is speaking about the one whose kingdom will be forevermore. This mystery had been revealed to them in Christ Jesus. Now, it would be ironic if I was speaking about this mystery and speaking about the clarity of this mystery and I myself missed out on making this mystery clear to you. If there is anyone here who does not know this mystery, let me spell that out for you. Because I myself do not want to confuse you. Well, it begins with God, God who is the creator, God who created you and me in his own image, God who created everything. He is holy, he is just, he is rich in mercy. Man who rebelled against God, man who always desires to seek his own ways, who has made his own gods, 
this rebellion, this tension has separated man from God. God, in His loving kindness, pursues humankind, promises, fulfills by sending the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come, take on human flesh, God incarnate, live a life perfect, pleasing to God, be the perfect sacrifice, be nailed on the cross for your sin and my sin, bear all the shame and guilt. On the third day, die and then be buried, and on the third day, be raised again. And by doing that, we, mankind, can be now reconciled to God, only to those who repent and believe in this gift of grace. That is what Paul means when he speaks of the mystery of Christ. If you, were, if you do not know this Christ as your personal Savior, would you speak to me or one of the elders or one of the church members? We would be happy to share more about this Christ. This Christ is who unites all of us. He is the center of our Christian contentment. He brings both Jews and Gentiles into one nation. Paul is asking that he would make it clear. He does not want to confuse people. He does not want to use lofty words and, and confuse people. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, my hero, um, he, he quips this. Listen to me. Spurgeon once commented, Christ said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. However, some have put the food so high that neither sheep nor lambs can reach it. They seem to have read the text, feed my giraffes. <laughs> we all have the tendency to make the gospel message confusing, complicated, more than it needs to be. Simple message. Jesus was profound in his teaching. However, he was very simplistic in his teaching. That is how Paul is saying he ought to speak. That is how we ought to speak. I, I love Paul's passion. He, he says, he doesn't say, this is how I need to speak. He says, this is how I ought to speak. Uh, he, he has that passion. He has that growing passion to, to share the gospel. He, he wants to make sure that the gospel is made clear to the outsiders. Let me illustrate this point, this, this, this whole thing. How do we speak to God about outsiders? Let me give you an illustration. Um, D.L. Moody, um, an evangelist, a preacher, uh, tells of the story when a man came to him and spoke of the time when this man wanted to be enlisted to fight in the Mexican War. Uh, he was an unbeliever, mother who was a devout Christian, 
kept saying to him, hey, you're not ready. You can go once you become a believer. She did not want him to die on the battlefield not knowing Christ as his personal savior. So she kept pleading. This man did not budge. Um, and he kept saying, no, I, I want to go to, Mex- to, the Mex- to fight for the Mexican war. Before he left, the mother, um, what she did is she gave him a watch and a copy of God's Word and said, my son, when you go out, when you are in the battlefield, remember that your mother is praying for you every day at 12 o'clock. She handed him a copy of God's Word and said, and marked certain passages so that he could be reminded of uh, the key text from the, the Bible. This young man goes into the war four months into the battle. He faces uh, a very long, tiring day. At around mid, midday, he pulls his watch and looks, and it is exactly 12 o'clock noon. Something had prompted him to do that. So he, this is what he did. He went to his officer and said, hey, can you relieve me for a certain time? The officer obliged. This man went behind a tree and got down on his knee and asked that the God that his mother was praying to would make himself revealed to him because he was feeling lonely. He was not joyful. God, in his goodness, revealed himself. Everything that the mother had been praying for, everything that the mother had preached to him, all of it came, made complete sense to this young man. After the war was over, the man came back, professed Christ, got baptized, and then Moody goes on to say that this man then enlisted himself as an evangelist. He moved on to Mexico to be a missionary in that land. What we see from the story is how a persistent saint who kept pleading for his son, the Lord in his goodness granted her desire. Persistent prayer led to the salvation of this young man. This specific example is a very small example, a picture of how God works. God alone saves. He is the catalyst. Sorry, the pray- prayers are catalyst for salvation. Now, some of you may be saying, well, if, if God is God, um, why, why do we pray? He knows everything. Why, why should we pray? Uh, answer is simple. God commanded this. Jesus Christ, the incarnate God himself, prayed. If God himself can pray, how much more should we be praying? Now, God commanded this. God commanded our allegiance. When we Christians 
are taken out from darkness into light, we are called to follow light. So we are called to pray. Jesus modeled it. And the Bible is clear. God accomplishes his will through prayer. Prayer is the means through which God has chosen to accomplish his will. We all understand how gravity works, right? Things are there on the ground because gravity pulls that. That is the order of nature. Well, the order in the spiritual realm works is fueled by prayer. Prayer is how things work in the spiritual world. Remember Jacob? Uh, Jacob wrestled with God. Paul is asking the church to wrestle for the lost souls. If prayer is present, it is yelling and telling the outside world that the church is dependent on God. A church that does not pray shows that we are self-reliant, that things are okay, and we are deceiving ourselves. Persistent prayer also reveals great faith. We understand we can go to the Father asking again and again for what we need. Now, Faith Bible Church, is, is prayer an afterthought for you? Uh, are you intentional as Paul commands us here? Or are you accidental? Dave, in his pastoral prayer, prayed about prayer being the oxygen for us. Can you imagine life without oxygen? Prayer without, a life without prayer is, is dead. David also was helpful when, when he was praying. He, he said about what a privilege it is to pray. I don't think we, we understand what happens in prayer. Do you understand the royal invitation that we get to enter heavenly courts? That is what the Lord is allowing us to do. He is allowing us to come into his presence, gives, we get the ear of the most powerful one. That brothers and sisters, is a privilege. We've seen how prayer also is a catalyst for salvation. It is a privilege to be praying for the salvation of others. It's just what Christians do. This should be so natural to us. Um, I think of the heroes of faith. I, I think of Daniel the guy who prayed three times a day. What, what Paul is saying is, hey, be praying regularly. Now, as soon as you hear, oh, three times a day, pray regularly, something behind our back says, oh, he's, he's getting legalist. Now, let me quote John Piper here. John Piper definitely says things better than I do. So hear me out what, what Piper speaks in terms of our prayer. He's, he says, Meanwhile, 
the devil is whispering in your ear to some of you. The pastor is getting legalistic now. He's moving into the legalistic phase of the sermon. He's starting to use guilt now. He's getting the law out now. John Piper says, to which I say, to hell with the devil and all the destructive lies. lies. Be free. Is intentional, he continues, is intentional, regular, disciplined, earnest, Christ-dependent, God-glorifying, joyful prayer a duty, a discipline? Do I go to prayer meetings Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, Friday morning, Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, because it is a duty out of discipline? You could call it. If you call that, he says, he continues, it's a duty the way it's a duty for a scuba diver to put on his air tank before he goes underwater. It's a duty the way pilots should listen to air traffic controllers. It is a duty the way soldiers in combat should clean their rifles and load their guns. It's a duty the way hungry people eat food. It's a duty the way thirsty people drink water. It's a duty the way a deaf man puts his hearing aid. It's a duty the way a diabetic uses insulin. It's a duty the way Winnie the Pooh looks for honey. It's a duty the way pirates look for gold. So you could call it duty if you want. It is like that. But I hate the devil. I hate the way he's killing some of you by persuading you it's legalistic to do regular, set-aside, disciplined praying. I hate the devil and the way he's killing you. He is laughing up his sleeves and at how easy he can take out Christians. He's laughing up his sleeves at what suckers, this is what John Piper says, suckers we are for his worn-out legalism. Brothers and sisters, prayer is not an option. It is our strategy to the outsiders. Let me give you some ways we can apply this. I think the, the best way we can be on our knees praying regularly is by reminding ourselves of the gospel. If we remind of what we have been saved from, saved to, I think prayer will automatically come. It, it should just generally happen. Keep reminding of yourself of prayer. It will lead you to pray. As individuals, what can you be doing? Uh, keep praying, taking note, being watchful of each other's needs, spiritual needs. Look out for opportunities. Be watchful. Remember the disciples uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, they were sleeping. Brothers and sisters, I do not want us to be sleeping. Let us be watchful. Let us be mindful of what the other person's spiritual needs are. And, and let's be asking the Lord who, who can do anything that he wills and pleases him. Corporately, what can we do as Faith Bible Church? I think the best way to do um, to participate in this worship is being engaged in our corporate prayer. 
Uh, when the pastors come and pray, let's, let's pray with them. Let's be paying attention of what they are praying. Let our hearts be in tune with them as we intercede and ask our Heavenly Father. Interpersonally, what can we be doing as a church? Well, a lot of us meet on Wednesday evenings to pray for our missionaries. We pray for the preaching of the Word. So join them. Join us as we make supplication, as we intercede to our Heavenly Father. I personally have benefited myself from those times. I have seen how other faithful intercessors plead with our Father. I I don't just get phrases from them, but I I see their heart. I see their heart for the lost souls, and I, I join with them. So join us. In fact, this Wednesday evening, we have a good opportunity where we will be listening from a pastor from the Middle East on the, the health of the churches. So join us. Join us to pray for churches around the globe, not just here in Naples. Um, as I commend, as I give some application, I also want to commend you. Uh, this past week, so many of you have prayed so earnestly. You've texted me and you've said, hey, Joseph, I'm praying for you. I am thankful that you did that for me, that you would go to my heavenly Father and plead for me. So I thank you. Also, uh, revisit from time to time God's faithfulness. I, I heard this story of this man who in his library has notebooks, notebooks where he has penned down all his prayers, all the answered prayers. And what he does is from time to time goes and looks at those and reminds himself of God's faithfulness. We are forgetful people. I think it would do us good if we did that. Prayer is the fuel for evangelism. Well, uh, this morning when we heard the scripture being read from Psalm 130, uh, we, we heard the psalmist cry out to the Lord. He knew, he asked for himself first. He asked that he would be saved, and then he did receive that. And then he goes on to say, Lord, he, he points Israel, look to that heavenly father. And that is Paul's strategy as well. He's, he's told them, speak to God about outsiders. Now we move to speaking to outsiders about God. Speaking to outsiders about God. Look with me at Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. What Paul is doing is he's taking the focus off him, and he's putting the focus on the church at Colossae. Um, In Colossians 1, 9, and 10, let me read that out for you. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in his spiritual kingdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what he has done is he's already prayed for them. Now he's saying, hey, I've prayed for you. Now I'm calling you into action. Okay. The main idea in verse 
5 is walking in wisdom. He is calling a behavior in them. Well, you would question, okay, what does it mean to walk in wisdom? Let me answer that question by saying what the opposite is. So what does it mean to walk like a fool? We all know what it is to act like fools and morons, right? What Paul is saying is your wisdom cannot be an earthly wisdom. It needs to be a biblical wisdom. Conduct yourself. Let your behavior be such that it is conducive to the gospel message. Colossians, when they would have heard walk in wisdom, they would have been reminded of the scriptures from the Old Testament. Scriptures that they would have been familiar with. A couple of scriptures that would have come to their mind. is One is... Proverbs 28, 26. Uh, Hear me out. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. We are very familiar with Psalm 1, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law. How do you walk in wisdom? By delighting in the law. Colossians would have got that. So walk in a way that is conducive to the gospel message. Now, Paul is is excellent. He he makes two points. He says, hey, how do you walk in wisdom? He, He clarifies. He gives two points of how to walk in wisdom. The first way he says you walk in wisdom is by making the best use of your time. He says, making the best use of time. What does he mean? Uh, Colossians, the church at Colossae, is called to leverage opportunities for sharing the gospel. Um, Paul is assuming that there are plenty of opportunities. He's saying, hey, there are opportunities there. Go get them. You would, be, uh, you would notice he uses the word outsiders. Um, the church would have been very familiar with um, outsiders. They, the whole scripture is, is very clear about those who are inside and those who are outside. Inside the family of God and those who are outside the family of God. The whole testament speaks of that. So when Colossians would have heard, they would have known what Paul is referring to. So he, Paul is calling them out, walk in wisdom toward those who are not part of God's family. Now, how do you do that? I think uh, Paul definitely should be all, should be our hero. Uh, he, he also t- shows how do you do that. Uh, he, he writes this to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22. Uh, it reads, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that, all, that by all means I might save some. What he's saying is, hey, I've become like them so that I can win 
them for Christ. And I think that is what he's saying. Hey, don't be, be, let your gospel message be, be clear so that they understand what you are sharing with them. Um, Christ, I think, is our role model when it comes to walking in wisdom, making the best use of time in his earthly ministry, Christ made sure that no opportunity was missed. He was calling out people. He was making the most of any and every opportunity that was handed to him. Um, there were disciplines in him. He, he was a man. He, he was early to rise and pray, teach, feed, even rest making sure that the time was being used well. Paul is calling out the Colossians to be prudent, be wise, be discerning how you use your time. Brothers and sisters, uh, our Christian walk uh, can be sabotaged by our words. Our words can make our gospel witness be worthless. And so, Paul, the, the second clarification that he gives on how to walk in wisdom is by speech. Look with me to verse 6. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with love, sorry, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The word speech here uh, is a very generic word. Um, it means logos. Um, the, the Greek word here is logos. Logos can mean anything from a casual conversation to the gospel. Paul is saying, let your grace, let grace proceed your speech. Let wisdom proceed your behavior. Paul starts with, how should your speech be? Your speech should be, one, gracious. Not just kind, not just polite, although that is implied, he is speaking about gospel grace. He is saying, when you speak, make sure that you are speaking about God's grace to people. He is saying, let your speech be infused with the gospel. He is saying, let, when you speak, share about God's grace, that grace that we receive plentifully. Do not just throw at them, shove law in their face, and walk off. Remind them of God's grace. Second, he says, how should your speech be? Your, he says, your speech should be seasoned with salt. He's saying, let your speech be... Now, Colossians, when they would have heard salt, they would have understood salt protects food. It, is, it acts as... Um, what's the word? Preservator, thank you. <laughs> that is what he is... The, the Colossians church would have understood that salt acts as preservator, right? So what... 
Paul is saying is, hey, let your speech be gospel protective. Do not let the, the outside world tell you how to live. Let your speech not correspond to the world. I'm, I'm thinking about evils of today's life. If we are going to defend what is happening in the outside world with their speech, I think we've lost the battle. What, we, what Paul is calling us to do is use biblical, grace-filled speech to um, defend. That should be our game plan. Um, now, I do not want you to miss something here. He speaks about the word always. When I read that, I was so convicted. He does not want us to speak in this manner once a year, once a month, once a week, or once a day. He, he wants us to be speaking this way every day. I, I was convicted. How do you speak this always? What he's saying is, your speech should be, this kind of a speech should be regular, habitual, consistent, repetitive. That is heavy. <laughs> he goes on, he says, let your speech be informed. He's like, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person, each person. So what he's saying is each individual is different. You need to understand how to speak to each individual. Max Stiles, in his book, uh, Evangelism, uh, defines evangelism as teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. You do not persuade with a blanket gospel. Of course, the, the truth remains the same, but you need to meet people where they are. You need to know what their spiritual needs are and meet them. Now, when your speech is a speech that is informed, when your speech is that of grace, when your speech is that which is seasoned, when I think about seasoned with salt, I'm also thinking food without salt can be bland. Similarly, he's saying, hey, let your speech have that seasoning. Let, be, let your gospel presentation be exciting, interesting, uh, not with fluffy words, gospel truth, but the way you present it, let it be exciting. When we as a church start speaking in this manner, what we can expect is people being aware of it. Being, they will notice a different speech, a speech that is different from the world. And so Paul says, well, Questions will be asked of you. Be ready to give an answer as well. A uh, quick, illustra quick illustration to drive this point. Uh, I was speaking to a friend um, a few days ago. Um, this friend, many years ago, when he was still an unbeliever, stepped into a building and held the elevator door so that an old lady would come in. When the old lady came in, she had a big, enthusiastic smile and said, God is good. Just that little phrase, God is good, triggered 
this man to search, why is this lady so thankful? What makes her say God is good? She was using a cane as well, so it's like, that's not make sense. He started asking her. That particular speech God used to convert this man. Uh, my friend now is a professing Christian. Brothers and sisters, our speech needs to be different from the world. It's a kind of behavior, it's a kind of speech that Paul is calling all of us into. Now, Paul has given us some behaviors, some speech. How do we apply this? How does this apply to us as a church? Well, what I have noticed here at Faith Bible Church is there are two pockets of people, um, some who are fervently praying, fervently um, giving, fervently um, sharing the burden of this church. Thank you for your, for your work. And I've seen some others who are so enthusiastic about bringing their friends to small groups, to the church, volleyball games. Thank you for doing that. However, Paul, to those who are not or for some reason feel timid or feel shy in, in just limiting to praying and not sharing the gospel, Paul is very clear. He says, hey, you need to be sharing the gospel. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and tell. He doesn't say only a few go and tell. He says all of us go and tell. So this is a thing that we all do together. Evangelism should be in our DNA. Uh, think about a military guy or a lady. You, you, you know a military person by their uniform. Similarly, you know a Christian by their evangelism, a life that shows that this person is living what they have been called to. Be, um, I've also seen many of us here uh, being very intentional. Um, people who have been pouring out into lives, uh, wanting the good of others, calling them to their homes, opening their homes, inviting people. To them, I would say, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, this is a great model for all of us. Uh, I think we need intentionality uh, about how we do evangelism. Um, some of us here, I, I want to commend others who, who go to their particular barber so that they can continue sharing the gospel, making that relationship. A um, couple of weeks ago, we heard from Justin Perry how his wife would go to a particular cashier for the sake of the gospel. Find those ways. Their opportunities are plenty. We need to be open to those. In our conversations, um, let us be so consumed by Christ that Christ is who we convey to the watching world. Um, we all love to speak about our favorite restaurant, favorite movie, favorite sunset, 
sport, favorite sports. Let God's grace also join in that list. When you speak to people, let, let your speech also show to the watching world how God has been good to you even today. So be distinct and be intentional about how you speak, how you behave. Another good way for you to live this way is, is speak to one another. Ask what are their spiritual needs and, and, and do evangelism together. If you know this brother is, has invited someone to church, let the church body work together to point them to Christ. There would not be a single thing. This is a community uh, event. Um, also, uh, speaking of opportunities, think about the AC guy that comes into your place, the plumber who comes into your place. Use those opportunities. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let it be filled with grace that attracts them to Christ. Remember earlier I was speaking about Christian hypocrisy? I think knowing the power of the gospel and keeping it to yourself is hypocrisy. You are not loving others if you do not share the gospel. Friends, as I conclude, this is not complicated. This is simple. In fact, the whole sermon can be summarized in a one-by-one canvas that is there in Pastor Mark Mincy's office. This is what it says. It says, pray, meet, pray, meet people, tell about Jesus. Simple. That's, that's the whole sermon. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is so simple. This the strategy that Paul gives us to be not called as hypocrites is easy. Talk to God about outsiders. Talk to outsiders about God. Which one should you focus on this week with your effectiveness to reach the outsiders? If it is prayer, let me encourage you with a regular pattern of prayer. If it means you need to make intentional relationships, I'm praying with you, for you, so that a door of opportunity would open so you can go and share the gospel. Be intentional, not accidental. Now, what I want for all of us here is remind ourselves that this is, this is easy. Not because we can do it, but because Christ can do it. In fact, he has done it for us. If we are delighting in Christ, we can rely on Christ as we share the gospel. Our walk and talk should align to the faith that we profess. This is how we represent Christ well to this watching world. Pray and evangelize.
Let us all be so consumed by him that we convey him to the outside world. 